We come to a very fascinating story in our study of Exodus. Chapter 32 is the story of when the children of Israel built a golden calf and proclaimed, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. When we read that, it's baffling, it's disturbing, shocking, all kinds of adjectives could describe how we would feel knowing what happened to those people, what God had done for them, how he had delivered them from slavery. They had cried out for many years. They had begged God to intervene, to act, to help them, to deliver them, to save them. And he did. And he did in miraculous ways. He, he did in incredible ways. And after all of that, they go to the mountain, Mount Sinai. And remember, the mountain is, is quaking. It's like an earthquake. It's shaking and trembling. And the thing is on fire at the top. And smoke and lightning and thunder and all of these things. And God speaks out of that. And all this has gone on. And, and they have been witnesses to this for weeks And Moses gets called by God to go up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. And he's there for 40 days and nights. And they get worried. They're afraid. We've lost our leader. What are we going to do? How can this be? Moses is the one who started this whole thing. Moses is the one who spoke for God. He's the one that would go to God with our requests, our concerns. What are we going to do without Moses? So they built a golden calf. What in the world? How could they be so ignorant? How could they be so dull when it comes to the things of the Spirit and of God. How could they? Well, that's what we think, right? Well, hopefully we'll explain a little bit of that today and help you to understand what happened to cause them to do this and help you to understand that in many respects, we're not much different than they are. Now, I know that might be disturbing, but hear me out, okay? <laughs> First of all, I want to give you a little bit of a chronology. I, I think it, it might help you in, in the things that we've gone through to get a, a feel for the time frame, okay? So it was in what we would call April, our April, that's not what they call it, but anyway, in April of approximately, this is approximate, 1446 B.C., okay? 14, almost 1450 years before Jesus is born, okay? So, that's when the last of the plagues happened in Egypt. The first Passover that they observed, they left 
Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea, all of that happened in the month of April. In the next month, they're in the wilderness of sin. And that's when we read the stories about, uh, you know, God providing water, God providing manna, quail. That's when Moses uh, meets up with his father-in-law Jethro and, and that whole story that we talked about. All of that happened in the month of May. The next month is when they arrive at Mount Sinai. That would be in June. They arrive at the mountain. That's all the things that I just alluded to, and then Moses going up and receiving the Ten Commandments, being up there 40 days and nights, and of course that would take you to sometime around close to the middle of July, and that's when the story of the golden calf takes place, okay? So we are about two and a half to three months, somewhere in that range, removed from when they left Egypt. So that gives you a little bit of a sense of the time frame in which all this happened. Now, in the month of September, is when you read Exodus 34, Moses comes down from the mountain, his face is veiled. That'd be about the first part of September. And uh, we'll be getting to that next week. Uh, Josh will be talking about that. And then the construction of the tabernacle begins, and that took approximately seven months for the tabernacle to be finished, okay? And that takes you all the way through Exodus, the rest of, of the book of Exodus. So, we don't usually realize this, but the Israelites were there in the area of Mount Sinai almost a year, okay? So like when you're reading through these chapters and, and maybe within 30 minutes to an hour's time, you read all this section of scripture, uh, you read one thing right after the other, you don't realize how long this took. And so they're there almost a year. Moses actually climbed up on the mountain to the mountaintop to meet with God eight times. Four times in chapter 19 and once each in chapter 20, 24, 32, and 34. You make a care less. It's just interesting trivia to me. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 6, beginning at verse 6, and going through verse 21, 40 years later, Moses retells the story. So it's kind of interesting to go jump ahead and read it again and get a little bit different slant on things. And yes, Moses was on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights, two different times, okay? It just didn't happen once, happened twice. Well, why a golden calf? Well, everybody probably is familiar with uh, some of the religious practices in India where cattle are considered to be sacred. The Hindu religion, uh, cattle are sacred. 
And in talking to some Indians and pe people that uh, lived there and everything, uh, they can tell you some crazy stories about, you know, what happens when a cow walks down the street, <laughs> what everybody does. You know, you don't honk the horn <laughs> and run the thing off. You don't do anything like that. That's what we would do. Uh, so we're familiar with that to some extent. It's helpful to know that the Egyptians had a lot of gods and goddesses, and one of the main gods of the Egyptians was Apis, who was a bull, and uh, uh, a statue of a bull, and he represented the god Osiris. The Persians had a bull for the god Mithras, and it's kind of fascinating, weird, I know, but kind of fascinating to realize that the people who worshipped idols believed that the god or the gods, goddess that they represented actually inhabited the statue or, or the calf or the goat or whatever it was, you know, that represented that god or goddess. So they believed that they inhabited that. Now I want to jump to Acts 7 where Stephen is giving his defense and Stephen, uh, right before they stoned him to death, he gives a brief history of the children of Israel, and he mentions this whole, whole deal. And at verse 39, he makes the statement, in their hearts they turned back to Egypt. In their hearts they turned back to Egypt. Now the thing that's seems to be somewhat contradictory is that when we are in the text at Exodus 32 verse 5, Aaron says after they build the calf, says tomorrow we're going to have a feast to the Lord. And so you kind of scratch your head and think, well, wait, wait, wait a minute, what's going on here? This doesn't make a whole lot of sense that they build a golden calf and say, these be your gods that uh, brought you out of the land of Egypt, and then to turn around and say, uh, we're going to have a feast to the Lord. So it's not as if Israel totally forsook the Lord. They're still very much aware of all the things that have happened, okay? So don't think, and sometimes we may have assumed this, but don't think or assume that when they built this golden calf, they just totally forgot all about God because clearly they didn't based on the text. And we also read a little bit later where they were told, the young men were told to offer sin offerings and peace offerings. They offered sacrifices. Well, there's a connection there throughout God's dealing with his people of him requiring animal sacrifices. So are they offering the sacrifices to God? Are they offering sacrifices to the calf? The other gods? What, what's going on here? So it's a little bit confusing. I want to remind you though that the children of Israel had been in Egypt for 400 years. They did not know God. They did not know God. And we established that early on in our studies of Exodus. We read many scriptures. 
that talked about that. The children of Israel did not know the true God. What they did know and what their parents before them and their grandparents before them and their great-grandparents before them, for 400 years, what they did know, what they were aware of, what they had seen day in and day out all their lives was idolatry. That's all they knew. That is all they knew. And so when Moses, their leader, is gone, and they're convinced that he's dead, he's not coming back, he's dead, they really go into sort of a panic. What are we going to do? We've been brought out here in the wilderness, and now Moses is gone? What are we going to do? They may have had thoughts that maybe God had forsaken them for some reason. Because remember, up to this point, they can't even go up on the mountain to be with God. God said, if you touch the mountain, you're going to die. Remember all that? And so they're kind of afraid of God at this point, I think. They really don't know God. What they do know is they know some things about God, but they don't have faith. They're not trusting in God. They have not given themselves to him. Their hearts are not all in. And so when things go wrong, when things go bad, they panic and they revert back to what they know. And you know, that's kind of what Jesus said, if you think about it, in Matthew chapter 13, when he tells about the parable of the sower. Everybody remember that? The parable of the sower and how the seed is scattered and what happens to that seed and the various things that happen to that seed. There was only one outcome that turned out well. Remember, a lot of that is the seed not taking a deep root being choked out by the things of this world. And in essence, that's what's happened here. What they have seen, what they have learned, what they do know about God, it hasn't been very long. They don't have a deep, intimate relationship with God. And so when things go wrong, they just go back to default mode. They go back to what they knew before God. Joshua 24, 14 says, Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt. Now what does that tell us? That tells us that during those 400 years, the Israelites, at least many of the Israelites, worshipped the false gods. They worshipped the gods of Egypt. That's what Joshua says. Listen to Ezekiel 20, verse 8. But they rebelled against me and were not willing to listen to me. None of them cast away the detestable things their eyes feasted on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said I would pour out my wrath upon them and spend my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. And Ezekiel 23, verse 3, 8, and 19 basically says they prostituted themselves, spiritually speaking, 
by worshiping idols. Now we see the same thing years later in 1 Kings. Remember when King Solomon dies and his sons Rehoboam and Jeroboam, that's when the kingdom divided, that's when it split. And Jeroboam, he took 10 tribes, 10 of the 12 tribes, and he took them up there and in Dan and Bethel, he built what? Golden calves for them to worship and said, you don't need to go to Jerusalem anymore. Don't worry about going to Jerusalem. Don't go down there. Don't go to the temple. You worship God here. So we see the same thing again later. Just remember this. The scripture says in doing what they did, they've corrupted themselves. They turned aside quickly from what I commanded them. Remember, Moses has gone up there to receive the tablets of stone. They have already been recited to them. Remember about two weeks ago or whatever, I, I gave a sermon on that about the covenant that was established. And if you'll remember that, all the words of the covenant were read and the children of Israel responded and said, everything that the Lord has commanded, we will do. And folks, you don't get very far in the Ten Commandments till you read, you shall make no graven image. <laughs> I mean, they've already broken the covenant. That's what's happened. They've broken their marriage vows. They've been unfaithful to God. That's what's happened here. And that's why there is a pretty serious response and reaction from God. That's why God is so upset. That's why he burned with anger. Imagine a couple getting married, and then in just a matter of a few weeks, one of them cheats on the other. You think there might be some anger there on the innocent person? You think there might be some frustration? You think there might be some consequences? Yeah, probably so. And that's what's going on here. They promised. They made a vow. They committed themselves to God. And now they've already broken the commitment. And so Moses coming back down the mountain, and here's something. Sounds like a big party going on. It, it's not the sound of a war cries. It's not the sound of a victory after the war or anything like that. What is, what's going on? They're singing and dancing. And so they go down there and they see the people have made this calf. And isn't it crazy? It's almost hard to believe when you read it and when Moses begins to question Aaron, what have you done? What in the world have you done to build this calf? And Aaron says, the people told me to do it, and I just got the gold and threw it in there, and boom, out came a calf. Moses probably wanted to slap him about that. I mean, come on. You think I'm stupid? <laughs> you don't throw in a bunch of gold into the fire, and a calf jumps out. It's not going to happen. And plus, he's trying to blame everybody but himself. I didn't do anything wrong. They're the problem here. Wasn't me, it's them. Well, yeah, Aaron, you did it. 
Verse 21 and verse 31, both of these verses say that what they did was a great sin. This ain't no little white lie kind of a thing, folks. This was a big deal. The people had broken loose. And that's the English standard version, I think. Yeah. Listen to this. I, I got some different translations because I want you to get the full picture of the description of what was going on here. First, we just hear singing and dancing. Okay, singing and dancing. Well, what, what's wrong with that? Nothing wrong with singing and dancing. Well, it is if you're doing it to a golden calf and saying that's your God and you're singing and to that God and you're dancing for that. Yeah, singing and dancing's wrong in that context. Now, the people had broken loose to the derision of their enemies. That's interesting, huh? Somebody else is around watching. Their enemies are seeing what the Israelites have done. They're seeing that. They're watching them. But the New Living Translation says they were completely out of control to the amusement of their enemies. The NIV says they were running wild and out of control, a laughingstock to their enemies. And the old King James Version just says they were naked unto their shame. Put it all together. Okay? Just put all the translations together, put them all together, and you get a pretty good idea of what Moses found the children of Israel doing when he got down there. And boy, did it make him mad. And he took those tablets of stone and he threw them down in anger and broke them. He had them grind that calf to powder scattered it over their drinking water and made them drink it and then it was decision time who is on the Lord's side that's what Moses wanted to know now why would he ask such a question well, obviously, because it seems like that the children of Israel, are, they've gone back and forth in their allegiance. They've gone back and forth in their ideas about who God is. They've gone back and forth about what's right. They've gone back and forth about how they are supposed to live their lives and who they're supposed to follow and all of that. They have gone back to Egypt in their hearts. We read that. They went back to the old way of thinking. And so now, after everything that's happened, it's time to draw a line in the dirt and say, look, people, because remember, God wanted to wipe them all out. Yeah. The first thing God wants to do is get rid of the whole lot of them. Think of how many people would have died that day if God would have done that. Remember, the Bible says there were over 600,000 men. That doesn't even count women and children. So we're talking about maybe two or three million people would have died 
if God would have done what he first told Moses he's going to do. Because God's ready to just start all over. I'm going to start all over with you, Moses, just like I did Abraham. Serious business. But God shows great grace and mercy. And he listens to Moses plead as an advocate for the lives of these people. And God changes his mind. That's right. And I, I, I want to just throw this out there. It's not the only time in Scripture where God said he was going to do something and then he changed his mind. I want you to think about the power of prayer. Did you know that maybe there are times where God decides he's going to do something, but because of the prayers of his people, he relents, he reconsiders, and he changes his course. Isn't that amazing? That shows God is sensitive to our pleas, to our cries. That shows he listens carefully to us. And he wants to bless us. So God changes his mind. So what do we learn from all of this? Okay. There are times in all of our lives where it seems like God's gone. You're not listening, God. I've asked you for this. I've begged you for that. I've pled. I've prayed. My goodness, I prayed for a week. And you haven't done anything. And then another week goes by. Lord, where are you? What's wrong with you? Won't you listen to me? That's the way we are. Well, they at least waited 40 days, almost six weeks. Moses is gone almost six weeks. And nothing. No word from God, no word from Moses, nothing. Six weeks. Has God forsaken us? Is Moses dead? Is he ever going to come back? And once they're convinced he's not, they do what everybody does. They do what I do. They do what you do. Well, I'm going to do something about it. I'm not just going to sit around here and wait. Isn't that what Abraham and Sarah did? Remember that? He promised those old people a child. They couldn't have a child. Sarah couldn't have a child. Never had had any children. Now she's a 90-year-old woman. How's she going to get pregnant? It's not going to happen. But God said it is going to happen. And so after a few years, come on, God. Oh, God, okay, we'll take care of this. Go bring in the handmaid Hagar. We're going to have a baby here. We're going we're to help God answer his promise. We're going to help God keep his promise. And that's what people do. Did Abraham and Sarah make the situation better? <laughs> Absolutely not. They made things a lot worse. Did the children of Israel make things better when they built that golden calf? Absolutely not. They made things a lot worse. They committed what the Bible calls a great sin. What about us? You know, I would imagine the children of Israel had a lot of 
fear and anxiety. Anybody here struggle with anxiety? Anybody here worry because you're afraid this might happen? Or what if this happens? What if that happens? What about that? It kind of hits all of us, doesn't it? Sometime or another. And so we take over. Instead of waiting on the Lord and trusting in the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. Sometimes we need to not interfere with what the Lord is doing. And the problem with the Israelites, folks, is that they had a lack of faith and trust. A lack of faith, a lack of trust. I'm going to tell you something right now. And you know this. You have lived this. No relationship is going to work without trust. Period. Especially your relationship with God. If you don't trust God, if you don't believe who God says he is, if you don't believe who God has shown himself to be, do you really believe Jesus is the Son of God? Do you really believe that he rose from the dead? Do you really believe that Jesus is Lord of all? Do you really believe? Because that's what it comes down to. And that's what Moses was getting at when he said, who's on the Lord's side? And the Levites stepped up and said, we're on the Lord's side. And they killed 3,000 of those people who were worshiping that golden calf. One of the most interesting things about this story is that when the law came down in the stones, the graven on the stones, when the law came down, it immediately had been broken and 3,000 people died that day. In the book of Acts, when the Lord came down, when the Lord sent the Holy Spirit on the church in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved. Isn't that amazing? When the law came, 3,000 people died. When the Spirit came, 3,000 people were made alive in Christ. So, don't be a people pleaser. Aaron did what they wanted him to do. 
I struggle with people-pleasing. Maybe there are some of you that struggle with people-pleasing. Don't be a people-pleaser. Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not the people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. If I'm seeking to please men, Paul said, I would not be the servant of Christ. This morning, what is your golden calf? When things start going wrong, when things don't go the way that you thought they were going to go, when you get afraid, when you get anxious, when you worry, what's going to happen to me? What if this happens? What if that happens? When we get in that state of mind, what do you turn to? Do you run to the refrigerator? Do you run to the liquor store? Do you run to the dealer down on the corner? Do you run to your computer and turn on the porn? Is it money? Is it power? Is it fame? Is it acceptance? What is it? What is your golden calf? I want to leave you with that this morning. I want you to take a moment and think about it. Let's be real about who we are. Let's be real about what we struggle with. Let's be real about our relationship with God and what's it really like and why is it that way. And now that you've thought about what your calf is, who is on the Lord's side? Very important questions from this story. Questions that we all need to ask ourselves. Thank you.